What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here as usual, and thanks again for joining us wherever you are in the world, because this is a global podcast. Yeah, you know it. Anyways, I'm really excited for this one today, a topic that that really hits home. Uh, This is something that threw me off kilter early on in my career, and so when I I heard about this book and I heard about this author, I thought it'd be great to have her on and learn a little bit more about, well, beautiful money. That's right. But it's not quite what you think. This week, we are talking to Leanne Jacobs. And Leanne is an internationally recognized holistic wealth expert. She helps clients around the world cultivate the daily habits that lead to optimal wealth and well-being. But what's what's unique is her work is about teaching clients how to create wealth in an authentic, joyful, and mindful way. She teaches her clients how to become their own lifestyle architect and begin creating their greatest life. But she does it around this idea of wealth and money. And I ask her in the episode, why focus on money? And of course, I'm going to let you listen to her answer. Leanne is also the author of the new book, Beautiful Money, The Four-Week Total Wealth Makeover. So, you know, for this one, I don't really see the purpose of drawing this out. I want to dive right in because I love what Leanne has to say, and I think it will help everyone and resonate deeply. You can find us at smartpeoplepodcast.com, and if you want to help out the show, head on over to iTunes, leave a rating and a review. It could be your small good deed for the day. It helps others just like you find this show, tune in, and learn something new. 
Sign up for the newsletter at smartpeoplepodcast.com and be kept in the loop. Let's get on with it. Here it is, our interview with Leanne Jacobs as we discuss Beautiful Money. All right, Leanne. Well, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show and for writing this brand new book, Beautiful Money. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm I'm already happy and excited about <laughs> our conversation. <laughs> yeah, me too. And and the reason is because I was so pleasantly surprised when I opened the book or or you know looked at some of the notes or read some reviews because I'm interested in money for a number of reasons. And the subtitle is The Four-Week Total Wealth Makeover. Wealth is something I want to create. I think a lot of people do. It sells books because that's I'm sure that subtitle came from your publisher or something. But the mission or the overall theme is so much greater, so powerful, and so in line with what we are trying to do here on this podcast. Can you tell me what beautiful money is and what it means to you? So I think behind the title, the energy behind the title is a harmonious and aligned relationship with yourself and your money. And for me, that's what the whole premise of the book is about. And my journey towards, I mean, I think we're always works in progress, but as we evolve throughout our lives, um, how does that impact our ability to attract more money in a more meaningful way, but without like the, the chase and the force and that energy that doesn't feel right? We can sort of um, let go of the fear and trust that we don't have to be like that to make money. Why money? I think that's the first thing. Why, why can't we just say, you know what, this book is called just Beautiful Life. And it's about being yourself and following your values. Why throw money into the equation? Because I think we can use our money and our net worth as a fabulous measure of our self-leadership. And when we use money as almost like a, a scorecard, but in a more holistic way, not about like before we talked about this, but like in my old life, it was like my salary was all I focused on. Like I need to make this. And I kind of forgot that, oh, I'm not just uh, like, that's a pretty <laughs> one dimensional way to live. Whereas now I look at my, my income for the year as like a holistic measure of how well I did from a leadership and personal leadership and personal growth and connection standpoint. So it makes my relationship with money so much more meaningful and it also, it, it guides my decisions and it's about, you know, making decisions that impact the, like my long-term and impact other people. Like, so even the way I make my choices in my day, my, the money now, it's, it's always what's behind the money and it's the energy of how we handle our money is usually shows up in all other areas of our life. So money is just a great metric to use. Um, and it's not that, you know, people who make Everyone who makes money, they're using it as their leadership metric. You can make a lot of money, but I'm talking about a much more fulfilling relationship and journey with money. So for people who are looking for that, like meaning and being grounded and not being so um, extreme, like about just making the money at all costs. So if you want to have that that relationship, then it's, I consider it like a beautiful money metric. Right. 
I've heard the idea of money being a scorecard and essentially the more value you provide, the more money you'll get type thing. And there's a lot of logic there. But what about those that do so much good, provide so much value and don't make money, perhaps because they never made it a primary goal? So, I mean, I don't want to use Mother Teresa because I know nothing about her financial status, but you know, you can think anyone who's running a nonprofit or doing a foundation or I don't know, something like that. Yeah. So, I I mean, the spiritual quest for, you know, obviously for people who you speak about that, that vibrate at that enlightened level, um, they kind of graduate past that, that. And I also read a, uh, listened to a podcast once that said like, she didn't need money because people just gave her the world. She would go into a restaurant and like, it would be an offense. If right for something yeah was so, that was that in regards to mother Teresa or something yeah yeah that, that's why i didn't want to use her as an example because i realized you know she probably ha- can have anything in the but world but i so. think i think you know obviously we could have that spiritual conversation for you know um can we evolve past money but i do think for a lot of people that i knew like for example i did my yoga teacher training and most of the people I did my teacher training with expressed that they were barely surviving. Like they couldn't pay their bills. Um, They were teaching as much yoga as they could, but they lived in New York and, you know, it was like just getting, they weren't even just getting by. And I always thought like, wow, like you are helping people with their number one asset and helping them thrive with their health. And you're just barely getting by there's something wrong with this equation. And I did realize that it's it's a what goes on behind the scenes and our conversation with ourselves and our belief that we are worthy, our 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 val- how we value ourselves and our mindset. It it can be kind of focused on on scarcity. So even if we give a lot of value, we also have to look at but it can't come at a cost of undervaluing ourselves because then we're not going to have money. So let's use that yoga instructor as an example. In any of these types of professions, you can only charge, I would think, a certain amount. And and even if you are changing lives, it's just, it's not um, socially acceptable or it's not feasible for people to pay $300 a yoga session. So what is the balance there? What's the answer there? Well, here's a good example. I just, I mean, I'm Canadian. And I just spent $600 US on highlights because I'm in Manhattan. <laughs> and I would have thought like $300 is the max in Canada, right? Like even that's pushing it. I come here and it's that sense of we're worth it. Like there's no question. Like this this is, and so I don't think there is a cap. I think it's it's our internal belief. And one of my mentors for nutrition, she kept raising her prices triple what any other nutritionist and she kept getting clients but in her core she just expected people would pay because she was so committed and so passionate and so educated and she just truly believed that if she increased her price that she would be worth it so i think mm-hmm. there's always an example of someone who is charging more and still has a lot of clients and what i would always do is i'd i'd find out what they're doing what is it? And it's usually their energy and their posture and their I'm worthy. We had on the show a while ago, a doctor, kind of a holistic doctor that I, I really respected, I thought was really smart, um, wanted to work with. I, I know some listeners wanted to work with him, 
But when they found out his pricing, it was it was like really high, right? It was extremely high. Um, okay. And a listener reached out and said, despite whatever he may say about his passion and his willingness to help people, at that price range, he just eliminated 99.99% of the world's population, especially those that probably need him most. How is that okay? And I said, I kind of agree with you. Well, I think for some people, and I don't know his situation, but sometimes it can be because they their time is is so valuable and they may not have a lot of time to do the coaching or the one-on-one work. So they do have to increase the price to a level that only the 100% committed people are paying them because right. they, they don't have a lot of time. So... And I think as um, authors and experts become more successful, their their ability to help one-on-one becomes more challenging. So sometimes they price according to that. So perhaps he is doing, um, you know, speaking a lot more or speaking to groups. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes finding a way to uh, leverage himself, that might be why his prices are high for one-on-one work. Say you're that doctor and you're like, my mission is to change people's lives who need it. And then you see all these people who can't afford it and you've outpriced them. Mm-hmm. There's probably going to be some conflict. I know I am positive you've dealt with this in some aspect because I know a lot of coaches who deal with this issue. Yeah, well, I think what I this is sort of what I do is I'll find a way to learn everything I can from them for free. So I will listen to every interview they've done. I will read their books if they've done that. I will listen to every audio. I will watch all their YouTube videos I'll learn as much as I can mm-hmm. from them for free. And uh, I by that time, you tend to know some good stuff. And then maybe there's a way where, um, and this is an example, like if there's someone you really want to work with, but their price is crazy, like say, would you be willing if I got five people together uh, to kind of mentor us all? Or I'll say like, I the cost um, within is it may not be within my budget, but uh, is there a way that I could have ten minutes of your time? Like mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't have to be the whole hour. So I'll I'll give some I'll, I'll figure out a way to maybe be able to work with them, but just a little get creative around trying to get it to fit my budget. Right. Not always possible, but I have found in my experience most of the time it's workable. And the beauty of the internet and all the different ways to consume content, and I think what a lot of great people are doing, is they're saying, look, I charge a certain amount, I'm busy, This whatever, this is what I'm worth and valued at, and to meet those of you that I, I want to but can't for certain reasons, I'll provide it in a different way. Like you said, podcasts, blogs, you know, uh, classes online, et cetera. Right. And and sometimes some people may only have, let's say, two hours a week to do one-on-one work. So right. they, you know, it's not always easy. But at the same time, I think with so much content out there, you if you find someone you really resonate with, typically there's a lot of great stuff you can learn from them without having to like meet them one-on-one. Right. Well, I want to go back to what prompted all of this in you, because again, the listeners, a lot of the listeners kind of know my story coming from finance, a real obsession with money, setting the the only two goals I set in college were make six figures at 25 and seven figures at 30. And it really led me in the wrong direction. And then early on in your book, you talk about kind of what hit you and, and what prompted this idea. Could you bring us back to that just for a little bit and let us know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've definitely never been obsessed with money, but I definitely was addicted to achieving. 
And so for me, I think getting recognized, even at a young age, recognizing that I liked how I got recognized when I did something good or successful kind of made me feel happy. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting my sense of kind of who I was by accolades. And so that continued. And not that that's bad, but what can happen is you can get, I I got overly addicted to just achieving and I kind of didn't put much energy on anything else. And like you and I talked about, uh, I became really disconnected. I was sort of just living for the goals and living for the to-do list. And and, And the more I did, the more I realized that I was like, what's next? Okay, what's next? I, I never took a second to be grateful or to be proud of myself or to take a moment to pause and say, Does, how do I feel? It was just like, what's next? <clears throat> the addiction to more. And that continued uh, until I was in my mid-20s. And I know for some people, their aha moment. I remember seeing a therapist at that age and because I thought something I, – and. I was like, something must be wrong with me because I have the house. I have the great job. I have a great husband and, but I feel disconnected and empty and, and so what's wrong, you know? And I realized that I was neglecting all, everything else. And I was just completely focused on success and achieving. And it really, I didn't have like a moment where my body just totally shut down but I was getting severe warning signs from my body mm. that something was off. I was feeling um, what now is kind of titled as adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. I definitely had that. Um, signs of burnout. Uh, I was completely exhausted. Um, I was living off of like air pretty much. Like, well, Diet Coke, protein bars and air. Like I didn't really, I didn't fuel my body properly. Right. Um, I overexercised, so that just made it all worse. I was pretty much a hot mess. Mm. But from the outside, you know, people were like, oh, look how successful she is and she's fit and everything looks so pretty and great. Um, And I kind of looked around and the thing was, everyone else I knew was kind of playing the same facade, right? Right. But I just thought, "Is, is it just me? And it wasn't like I had loads of money in the bank. I had a good salary, but I was working for almost a decade and it, I, I wasn't really getting ahead. So I, so I thought the answer was to make more money and to get that promotion, but that wasn't working. So that was when I started, that's when I started to wake up and recognize that, okay, maybe my formula is just not working. So even right now in my life or whatever, I've made pretty substantial gains in income and they're they're modest to many but whatever uh, and as your family grows that those expenditures go out but in addition you kind of did the same and you said but it wasn't really working you weren't increasing the net income etc why is that is it just or why was it for you were you just buying things or is it that hedonic treadmill where you always feel like you need more uh, wh- what did you find was the issue with you and then for those that feel the same way how do you fix that how do you solve that well, I realized for me that my um, my pattern was I was I could make it, but I I couldn't hang on to it. <laughs> and I mean, I am in no way a therapist, but for me, I realized that I was afraid to hang on to it because I was so focused on the future and what's next 
that I didn't take a moment to not only appreciate the money that I earned, but to respect it in any way. I just kind of wanted to like get it out. So, um, and on top of that, because I was so anxious and, and, and so, um, ungrounded, I just needed to spend because like it was my outlet along with work to deal with the discomfort of like having any silence or peaceful time. Like I didn't know what to do with that. So I had to be busy. And so if there was too much quiet time, I would either eat crappy food and like eat carbs or I would go spend money. Um, and so (laughs) that was a pattern that I noticed. And, um, for any people, I'm sure some people that are listening can relate to that, but I realized there was, there was something going on, uh, that, that I was, I was ready and interested in, in kind of digging a little deeper. First of all, what steps did you take to work towards what you are now? And, and not just as this author, but I know you do a lot of speaking and teaching on this subject and it's not how to make money. It really isn't. So what was that transition from, I believe, consultant or whatever you were doing, working with, you know, Fortune 500s, what a lot of people are doing these days, uh, Mm -hmm. to this much more grounded yet, in my opinion, and in many, uh, more real success, you know, true to yourself success. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like you realize you need less money because when you're in alignment, you just spend less. You don't really need stuff. And you get your, like for me, I get a lot of my joy from spending time with my family and walking in nature and going to yoga. Like that doesn't cost that much money. Um, And it fulfills me much less to just uh, consume things and buy things. So you realize that you don't need as much money. But like, like you said, it's really what's behind the money. And I think for me, um, as much as, you know, we, we need money, we need to, we need to survive and take, we want to take care of ourselves. And for me, like I have four kids, so it's really important to me that I show them a path of integrity and leadership and possibility and freedom. Um, but I also want to teach them that they they are capable and able to follow their bliss. So I think for me, it's just, it's more about meaning, but it's also about um, how I make my money and how I make my decisions is, is uh, there's more introspection that goes on and um, much more authenticity. That authenticity, how do we even open ourselves up to that voice? How do we hear our authentic self in a world that is not only trying so hard to make us, I don't want to say inauthentic, but too busy, but also when we have been doing things for so long that we've drowned it out. Well, I think uh, our body tells us. We get little subtle signs like you and I both had. Well, you had yeah. very... <laughs> Mine was like subtle. a hammer. <laughs> uh, but they start off subtle. Yeah. And with time, if you ignore them, your body will walk. Your body will speak for you and... We hope that, you know, you don't want to get to the place where your body um, loudly screams that mm-hmm. you're, you're moving to a place of more integrity and authenticity. But um, for me, that definitely was the case too. Like I, I knew that my body was breaking down and um, it got to the point where I couldn't physically, I couldn't get my body to do things that weren't authentic. It was just too burnt out. Mm. And so now I just feel intuitively those signs, like if I say yes to something that isn't aligned, 
my body instantly reacts with a feeling of tension. And with practice and time, you learn to really recognize how that feels. In the beginning, you just um, you just know something feels off. And you can kind of fake it in the beginning, but over time, you just, you realize that it's time to evolve past that and to learn how to speak your truth. And, and that takes practice too, because we, you know, I'm a people pleaser and, and people always are like, oh, she's so kind. And, you know, so kind became a word that people associated with me. So imagine how much pressure it was for me to say no mm. for, to people when that's how you're identified. So I had to make a deep commitment to myself that just because I um, don't say yes to something doesn't mean I'm an unkind person. Right, right. And that's still work for me because, you know, being a chronic people pleaser, Mm -hmm. for women especially, Mm -hmm. you you don't want to disappoint people, but it comes at a great cost because you don't take good care of yourself and you set zero boundaries. Right. The boundaries are huge. And you're too burnt out to make more money. Right. I remember. So, you know, I do training and, and, and some speaking and things. And I was talking to somebody who said, you know, if you want to make more money, just do more of them. And I was like, no, I don't want to do any more. I'm good. And they were like, yeah, but you can make twice as much. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It, it, was this, it was this crazy thing that a lot of people that do what I do, facilitation, et cetera, they are all about book days. And they could not fathom somebody who didn't want more book days. And then I started asking myself, is it me? Is, am I an underachiever? Is something wrong with me? What do you do when those doubts come up? When those things, you start to follow your flow, you start to listen to yourself and it's not what everyone else is doing or telling you to do. Oh my goodness, this is such a perfect timing. So I'll give you a perfect example is I'm practicing what I preach with this book launch and I'm really coming from a place of trust and faith that uh, I've had so many people say that the book has has shifted me from the first page, and um, I'm so compelled to help people through the book. But at the same time, I have many friends who are in the book world who last night were like, "You got to hustle. You got to get an Amazon bestseller. You got what are you doing in bed right now? Like, get online and go sell books. It's your first night." Mm-hmm. And the old me would have been like, yeah, you're right. I got to hustle. I got to. And there was a piece of me that was tempted as well yesterday. But I realized that not only is that against the message of the book, but that it, it means I don't trust. And so I feel like the old habits and the old thoughts will creep in. But this is where our work is, right? To discipline ourselves, to really believe it before we see it. And if you have a knowing inside, it's like you got to trust it. And having somebody to talk to or like an accountability person or a spouse or a best friend will help you when you're tempted to kind of regress mm-hmm. and go back into wild mode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I called my husband and, and I'm like, I'm asking like, do you think I'm doing the wrong thing? And just getting it out of my body. He didn't even have to answer. Right. <laughs> no. I, I know this is right. It's just a little scary, right? Because my fears could be in like, if you don't hustle, you won't have impact. Right. I, I want to get into it. It's a four-week, you call it the four-week total wealth makeover. And you break it down by weeks and maybe we'll get to that. But the first week, the Make Gorgeous space is about creating that space and clarity in life, which 
kind of goes back to the question I was asking earlier. How did you do it? How do people do it? I think it's the, in my opinion, the hardest step because you say, okay, I feel a certain way. I feel unfulfilled. I feel too busy. I feel burnout. Adrenal fatigue, by the way, I took my cortisol test. Definitely was just terrible in that field as well. So I've been taking all types of um, you know, steps to to cure that up. And I know it's a it's a big deal these days. People don't sleep, people don't eat. And so they realize yeah. it. What it's do like they do? We're frying out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do think you have to be patient with yourself because you might know that it's time for change, but your brain isn't quite with you yet. And you do have to be patient. Like I it's it was a process and i for years i was i've started feeling that something was off but it took a little time for me and and i'm a slow learner and it took my body breaking down a little bit more for me to make the commitment to move and like one of my mentors carolyn may says the universe will crush you into fine wine so <laughs> if you don't make the decision at an appropriate time uh, you're, you'll eventually make it. It just might be your body making it for you. And if you can avoid that, it's always a more healthier and happier approach, but we're kind of wired to wait until there's a crisis to actually move. Um, but I think once you're, you're ready, and I think this is such a great time of year, right? Cause it's like the calendar is giving ourselves permission to kind of start fresh. And if you're feeling an intuitive call that, you know, you're ready for to graduate or you're ready for evolution or you're just done with feeling exhausted and burnt out and you're done with feeling disconnected like you and I were, um, making the decision that I'm ready for shift and ready for change, I think that's the hard part. It's, right. it's, it's like saying it out loud like I'm ready and I'm committed. Once you do that, then the first chapter and the first phase of the book, which is week one, which is making gorgeous space, it's like, I'm going to guide you. So it's not going to be overwhelming. You don't have to shake up your whole world. Some people like that kind of a challenge. Um, They want to shake it all up. They, you know, like I quit my job, got divorced, sold everything, went to Europe (laughs) and (laughs) created space in a major way. Yep. But it definitely doesn't have to be that drastic. And I was in my 20s, so I didn't have any responsibility. So it was easier for me to make a choice like that. But it can be much more subtle. Uh, But starting with really making a list of what is no longer serving and what you might want to get rid of and areas where you feel misaligned and things that you are committed to not doing anymore. um, That's kind of what the first step of the book really guides you through. When I heard that part, I was like, yep. I dig this person. I believe in a lot of what you're saying and I'm ready to keep going because I've given talks on this subject specifically. And I was speaking to at Georgetown University and I talk about creating space legitimately exactly what you're talking about. Because for me, what I did when I quit my job is uh, I went to try to hike the Colorado Trail. Um, It failed miserably. (laughs) That's a separate story. Uh, I moved to Arizona, you know, for... 10 months, which is where this podcast started. You know, I just believe you need to give your brain space to like let go, decompress. There's a lot it has to work through depending on how much you've built up. So I want to ask this question to you, which was asked to me on stage that day. I had a student that said, if I have crushing student debt, I am graduating. I have no idea what I want to do. I'm stressed out. I have exams on the way. I cannot afford to just go move or, 
you know, go to Arizona or, or go in the woods. You know, they use specific terms that I had, you know, for a week or a month. Um, how do you create space then? So what would you say to that person? So it, you scale it to what you can do. So let's say this person's living in a dorm. Where I would teach them to start is like anything that's going to make you feel a little bit more on purpose and clear, do it. So unplug for, it doesn't even have to be a whole day. Give yourself permission to unplug for Friday afternoon and evening. And you get make yourself that time to clear your environment, to get rid of like any clutter in your physical world that you can. Um, and, and journal and start thinking about what do you want to create? For sure, there's exams coming up. But after that, you know, where do you see your life going into? Where exactly would you like to be? One of the best exercises I did was if I had, you know, that person for an hour, I'd say, okay, well, write yourself a letter, date it at the top, write it in the present tense, and tell me where you will be in two years. And because a lot of times people will be like, uh, I haven't really thought about that. I'm just focusing on my exams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we want to give our lives the same amount of energy we're giving our tests and our teachers and our bosses. Man, I was just thinking about, it reminded me of this, and I, it's at the very beginning of your book, I saw a quote that that you wrote and it said, you know, design a lifestyle based on what you value. So you will no longer be chasing someone else's definition of success. Mm-hmm. And that's at the foundation of where this podcast is going, where our brand is going. In creating this space, I think that's when you start to determine what you value and utilizing these exercises. Is there anything else you found to really help people determine what they value, where they're going to get out of their head so much? Uh, well, there's two books that I read during that time that were really helpful. The first one is The Magic of Thinking Big. Um, that Because sometimes we get so focused. Like I was so good at goal setting for my company. But if you ask me what my life goals were, I had none other than like run a marathon and my income goal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Like it had to be productive and, or I wasn't doing it. And then I woke up and I'm like, I have no passions. Like I'm just a ultra like revenue generating productivity machine, but I am emotionally starving. Mm-hmm. Um, the other book that was helpful was a book called The Passion Test by Janet Atwood. And that's where I started. I made it. I was like, I don't really have any passions. I'm just full on productivity machine. And that book helped me to start to identify not only my values, but what I, what I wanted to, uh, how I wanted to kind of turn the boat around and have more meaning and more activities that kind of lifted me up and woke me up into my life. So there's a process in that book that I found helpful to just like recognize what are my passions. And, you know, like it, it kind of started to get me back awake. I think we've covered that area, which I think is most critical. But then in week two, you talk about building mental money muscles. Mm-hmm. And really, that's this mindset thing. Um, and, and as I mentioned in my job at Franklin Covey, we talk a lot about mindset and paradigm. It's the first thing that has to shift in order for everything else to follow. Money carries one of the, the heaviest burdens on our mindsets oftentimes for those that don't have money or aspire to have more. What do you see tends to be the, the issues, the, the thought patterns that are creating scarcity in people's lives? Well, money has this interesting ability to, uh, we give our power away to it. So that 
that can be a challenge when we're in debt because it can consume our entire being and all we think, feel, and hear is debt and scarcity. So if you're talking to somebody who's overloaded with debt and you start talking to them about thinking abundantly, um, they might kind of get that, but to actually do it is really difficult. So oftentimes, but the, the challenge is that's when we need to do it the most because what keeps us in that heaviness is that we, we give it too much power and then it controls our whole being. We don't sleep well, we don't live well, we're not awake well, um, and we're just focused on the debt. Uh, so shifting mindset when we're in that place takes a deep commitment and it does take discipline. Um, and, and even just like that's why I find being a student when you're in that place is really helpful because if you leave it to your own thinking, you're going to put yourself in a hot mess. Um, and so creating muscles, abundance muscles, and really working out your muscles and your mind around money when you're in a place of scarcity is ultra important. And it's the only way to really shift your reality. And so very, I mean, just being aware that, whoa, I really want more money, but every thought I have is about broke, about debt and about stress. Right. So, um, you know, that's like for me, I, when I didn't have the energy myself, because I was really focused on the debt, that's when I was a huge student. Like I plugged into podcasts, I read the books, because I knew if I just hung out with myself and my friends were in the same situation, uh, that I would get stuck there. Hmm. So, you know, aligning, learning, and it takes discipline and patience to discipline our thinking and only to take in the thoughts that we, that are aligned with where we want to go. So if our reality is that we're broke, like, we don't have to think that way, too. <laughs> right. Let's try something different. Well, and what about for those that are, you know, thinking, okay, I I want to think differently, but I'm also realistic. And I really appreciate the fact, you, as you mentioned, you have four kids. For me, I have a 20-month-old, and which is weird to say. Like, at what point do you stop using months, by the way? Like, at two? Can you say two years and then that's it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I have an 18 month old and I'm still using months, but I <laughs> probably two. Yeah. That's like two years. Like you're I not going to say 26 months, are you? At two. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I have a young son, um, completely shifted my world, just blew things up because I no longer need to worry about me. Like yeah. I'll be fine. I'll, I'll survive. I know I will. But now it's like all about him. And so any money will get some somehow, somewhere, you know, my wife and I, oh, well, well we got to put it in his college fund, you know, and I, I'm a finance major. I know all the rules here. Well, don't focus on his college fund until you focus on your, you know, IRA and 401k and you're, you have your six months of savings and all that stuff. Right. But it's still in my world drives me in a fearful manner. Right. Because I'm like, I need to save for him him. And so with you having four kids, that's a, another great kind of way to connect. And for those out there that have similar concerns or responsibilities, maybe they have a minimum wage job, their car broke, broke down, their rent, etc. How do you start making a shift when you really truly are in scarcity? Well, I mean, I think what I realized was fear isn't getting me anywhere. And it's certainly not making me happy. 
And my kids are going to feel the fear energy, and it's not healthy for them. So I made a commitment to, to the best of my ability to live from a place of faith, not fear. And that was like kind of foreign to me. But it's like, I don't want my kids to grow up in a place of fear or making decisions from a place of fear. So it's almost like I have a duty because I don't want them growing. I mean, there's enough fear. So best that I can do is focus on leadership and, and be smart with my money. But, you know, there's creative ways to make more money. And I think it starts from, okay, how can I save a little more? How can I be creative and maybe bring in an extra $100 a week? Um, you know, there's so many ways today online to generate a little more income. And I feel like when you have kids, and I'm sure you can agree, it's like it, it gives you that extra burning desire. Mm. But it's not from a chasing place. It's like from a passion place. Mm-hmm. And so it may it, it makes creating money so much more meaningful. I don't want people to get the uh, the idea that this is so all of it is so uh, spiritual. Uh huh. What it, what it, what might you say? Even though a lot of people listening, and myself included, do fall into that. I I believe in this and the mindset. And I'm working on that. But those that are going, wait, money's the tangible thing. I need to be able to retire. I make X amount of dollars. Tell me something I can do now. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me some finance stuff. What do you yeah. say? <laughs> so one of the weeks in the book really focuses on the finances. It focuses on your key measures. It focuses on, you know, starting to create a legacy for yourself, um, getting your affairs in order, creating a financial team, um, you know, budgeting. And there's definitely the content of very grounded principles that are important and become even more important when you are a parent because... When you're solo, um, like you said, like you, you'll figure out a way. <laughs> it right. may not be pretty, but you'll figure it out. Uh, but the 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 program is very grounded and and has a lot of of strategy behind um, being financially healthy and and automating your financial world to the point where you can sleep wealthy. Also, principles on you know automating income generation and how to include and incorporate more leverage into your life, which becomes even more important when you have kids as well, because you have less productivity time. Right. Um, and you, you know, I can, you become a, a really good at prioritizing. Like I can filter what's most important in a millisecond now. Right. And if I have an hour, uh, I can get what used to take me eight done, mm. eight hours to do. So it's, it's, it, that, that's a skill and that's a muscle that, that gets developed. And the book really takes you through exercises to be able to learn how to do that. Well, the book brand new and congratulations again, by the way, is beautiful money, the four week total wealth makeover. And I know, see, here's the, the beauty of a one hour podcast is it's enough to like say, thank you for this information. Thank you for your time. But especially in your case, it is not enough. <laughs> to get out the good part of this book. So I know that people will be heading your way to pick this up. Um, Leanne, I also wanted to ask, you know, where else might people find you? What's your website? And are you, um, are you on the socials and all that good stuff? Yes. So um, I'm definitely, I love Instagram. Um, so I'm on Instagram mm -hmm. on Leanne M as in Marie Jacobs. And you can also find me on beautifulmoney.com. Well, I don't want to take up 
too much more of your time. Thank you so much. I will let you do your book launch thing. I know it's it's a fun time and also demanding, um, but at some point in the future, I'll shoot you an email and hopefully we can reconnect. Yeah, that's so great. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you, Leanne. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Leanne Jacobs. Her book, Beautiful Money, The Four-Week Total Wealth Makeover, can be found at your local bookstore or on Amazon. And as always, if you decide to purchase through Amazon, please make sure you use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Any purchase you make through the link comes at no extra cost to you, gives the show a nice little kickback, and it helps you support the show. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review over there and subscribe if you haven't done so already. If you want to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. All right, that's it for us this week. Please make sure you stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast by heading over to smartpeoplepodcast.com and signing up for the newsletter over there. And we will see you all next episode.